Welcome to our first episode of Unfurling, a podcast exploring and celebrating the power of nature to inform and inspire. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Katrina. So the day has come, Elizabeth. We're recording our first episode of this new podcast. Yeah, and it feels good. I'm also conscious I can hear the birds outside my window in London. And I'm, I'm not sure if they're louder nowadays um, or if there's just less traffic or I'm putting my attention on hearing birds some more, but it really does give me a sense of joy you know, hearing them. Mm-hmm. Just kind of feels quite apt, you know, as we start this series, you know, I'm feeling joyful about going on this journey with you and with the listeners that we have today. Mm-hmm. I've got a kind of sense of, oh, the places you'll go by Dr. Zeus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, when I look out the window here, I can see hills and trees and rooftops in Devon. Um, so that's where I am right now. But I too, I'm curious, where are we going to head head off to? What what places will we be going to? What we do know is that we've delivered nature-based and climate change mindset workshops together in the past. Um, and we want to now share that joy that nature brings us and the lessons uh, that it's been teaching us with a wider audience so so some episodes like today's, in fact, will have a more personal flavor, um, whilst other episodes will kind of draw on thinking and initiatives that already exist and are being used to good effect um, out in the world. Um, so some of the topics we know we want to delve into include things like authenticity, climate change, stories, networks, economics, um, adventure even, mm. um, and more. And we will be asking how nature can help us think about these topics. Mm. So in a way, it's kind of like um, a voyage of discovery almost. Mm. And yeah, it'll be fun to see what we uncover and learn and bring in. And it, it almost makes me think of kind of childlike view. And I'm conscious I can hear my baby in the background. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> so that may happen during the, the recordings, whether today or in the future. But yeah, that kind of childlike inquisitive you know inquisitive mm. view yeah. is important and something else that feels important to me is you know why are we doing this now um, mm. and I think you know with the the lockdown we've experienced you know it's prompted questions about you know what's important in our lives mm, definitely and I know that for us personally nature has been one of those things that we've realized is really important um, you know simply as a as a space to breathe and for inspiration or yeah just fresh headspace every day Mm. um, amongst the other things we're doing so that's you know for both of us whether that's been getting up close and personal with the nature in London parks um, or even getting windswept um, on the kind of rolling Devon hills that I have around Mm. me um, it's that sort of spectrum of of engagement and um, yeah just experiencing and being in nature and it's it's all good Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's been lovely in some ways, you know, um, getting outside and just appreciate it more. And, and I know we're not alone in that, you know, I, friends and family share the same thing. And I know that many other people have responded in the same way. And um, I read recently that um, during this time of COVID-19, um, I think it was 81% of people um, in a recent RSBP survey agreed that coronavirus outbreak had shown the importance of protecting and restoring nature. 
Um, and they've also felt happier about being in nature. So this first episode is going to focus on joy and wonder. And we realise that can be, I guess, quite an intangible thing. But we've actually chosen this as a starting point for a couple of reasons. One is that we hope that it sets a tone for the series and that it kind of brings in a dimension of joy and wonder into, as Kat just mentioned, what's actually quite a challenging time across the world right now. And we also want to tap into that inner resilience and resourcefulness. And we have experienced how connecting in with nature and the joy and wonder it brings can help us to do that. So that's kind of our I guess, yeah, reasoning for, for, for looking at this issue to begin with. And we'll be looking at it from kind of three different vantage points today. So we're going to be sharing with you some stories and um, examples and our own experiences of joy and wonder that we gain through the connection with nature. Um, so we're looking at our own personal experiences, more networked experiences that we have and the wider world. And at the end of the session today, we'll be sharing some possible ways for you to access joy and wonder in and through nature. And we'd also love to hear what's coming up for you too. Brilliant. Yeah. So a little bit about us. And for those of you that uh, have a moment, we have actually recorded a background episode that goes a bit deeper into our personal journey into this whole podcast series, really. So if you've got um, a bit of time, do check that out. But I'm a I'm kind of a a generalist, really. So I'm a writer. um, I'm a coach working particularly at the moment in uh, international development and community development. Um, I'm also an elected district councillor, and I've got particular responsibility for climate change in my district. So that kind of obviously comes into the nature uh, theme more widely. Um, And of relevance to this particular episode, so I'm based in Devon, um, which is just full of nature and joy and wonder and I love it um I also uh, my uh, first degree was in biology and I kind of kept on some of that science um piece so yeah there's there's that and I've done quite a lot of work around the world particularly in sub-saharan Africa um and I just equate that with nature and outdoors and joy and wonder um so that's some of the stuff I'll be weaving in today um yeah what about you Kat? I guess the headline it is that I'm a certified coach kind of specialising in leadership and life coaching um, and of relevance here, nature and climate change coaching. I'm based in Battersea in London. Yeah, there's obviously different parts of ourselves we can bring into different episodes, but I think of relevance today is that um, I'm a mum of two small boys. Um, I'm the daughter of conservationists and zoologists. And I too have a science background. Um, I study human sciences at university, which is a mixture of biology and social sciences. Yeah, that kind of gives us a flavour of, of who we are. Fab. So shall we kick off? Let's kick off. So I guess it's important to actually understand what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to define what we mean by joy and wonder. I guess my brain immediately went to, let's find a definition. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I went to the Cambridge Dictionary. Um, and what was interesting was when I looked up joy, the actual definition, according to the dictionary at least, was great happiness. Mm. And it was those two words and as simple as that. For me, it feels very connected to my body, almost like spreads across my body when I'm in a state of joy. And we were talking about this beforehand and you had some thoughts about joy and actually perhaps how it's more nuanced than just great yeah, happiness. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I, I recognise they're connected, but a couple of things sparked to me 
recently through actually having discussions with some colleagues and friends around the world with whom I work on kind of community health and development. And we were talking about happiness. And someone said about, well, maybe actually what we're after more is joy, um, because happiness seems fleeting, whereas joy perhaps is something that we can see as a resource um, and and carry with us whatever our circumstances uh, might be. Um, So I guess that got me thinking about how they're not necessarily the same thing. I came across a quote recently, which is kind of obscure, but I also quite liked it by um, J.D. Salinger, who wrote uh, The Catcher in the Rye. Um, And the quote is, the fact is always obvious, much too late, but the most singular difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is a solid and joy a liquid. And yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe hard to access, but for me, it means it's, I guess, um, happiness is a kind of, it's an external thing. It's something you can kind of pick up and, mm-hmm. and, and step into, whereas maybe joy is something that it always finds a level and it, whatever shape you are or whatever state you're in, it will, it will, it will fit to that space and that state. Mm. You know, it just reminds me as you said that, um, cause I hadn't heard that quote. It was, it kind of reminded me of what I mentioned earlier about that kind of spreading across yeah, my body. You know, interesting. When, Joy. Yeah, in fact, I've also got a, a, a quote I scribbled a while ago, which I'm afraid I can't remember what magazine it's from, but it was, um, it says, joy is more consistent and is cultivated internally. It comes when you make peace with who you are, why you are and how you are, whereas happiness tends to be externally triggered and is based on other people, mm. things, places, thoughts and events. And that's not necessarily right, but I think that kind of resonates with some of the conversations I've been having recently. So, yeah, I suppose it's recognising that joy, there is nuance to joy and and to happiness, Mm. but we know that they're connected. Okay, so I think we've got an idea about what joy Mm. is. Obviously, people can interpret that as, you know, from their own experience. I'm going to go back to the dictionary. When I looked up wonder, it's just a little bit longer. It said a feeling of great surprise and admiration caused by seeing or experiencing something that is strange and new. What came up for me when I read that was clearly that newness can be something that is genuinely the first time we've ever seen something or experienced something. And it may be something that we've just never consciously focused on before, that it may be part of our everyday lives. And I'll I'll bring an example later about that, but it's just, I guess I bring that in now just to, again, I guess that nuance about what newness actually is. Yeah, interesting. And that makes me think about, Oh, there's a quote, I can't remember who it is, but it talks about seeing the same thing with new eyes. Um, and I think mm. it's partly that kind of how are we looking at things and, and not getting kind of stagnant in how we see the things we're familiar with. Mm. But how do we, yeah, how do we tap into that newness? This next bit is, you know, we, we wanted to think about our own experiences of joy and wonder, you know, that nature has evoked in us. We did some brainstorming separately and then together about some of those memories. And I had a long, long list yeah. <laughs> of different things. For me, one is a moment when I was, I think I was 19 or 20, and I was on an expedition with Rally International in Mongolia. And we were climbing up this really, really massive um, sand dune with our huge backpacks on. And it was every step forward was two steps backwards. Really, really tough work. Yeah. And we eventually got to the top of this, this thing. And there was just this, I don't know what happened. We were just almost like in this group dynamic, just suddenly everyone just wanted to run down the other side. We just chucked off our rucksacks, which we had to later retrieve. And 
held hands. I think it's probably about, I can't remember, 12, 15 of us. And we just ran down the sand dune, falling as they went. And it was just a beautiful moment of being in a genuinely beautiful, stunning, unique place and also enjoying it with other people. Yeah, so that was one of mine. And then it and then it kind of goes as simple as going back to my Gloucestershire childhood. And we had, there's a kind of hill beneath where we used to live um, and uh, with a stream. And my parents, my brother and I, we used to create waterfalls by kind of stacking up different stones um, at different points. And we'd have one for each of us. And just a pleasure in, I guess, interacting with the environment as well. So not just looking and seeing, but actually more dynamic piece felt really important and doing it with my family. Mm. What about you, Elizabeth? What, what it's similar in the, in the kind of the role of how the intimate small things at home and also the kind of the global experience as well, really, from a kind of global perspective. So I've been to Zambia quite a number of times and lived there for a while as well. Um, and I remember just the first time I went to Zambia when I was about 20 doing some volunteering work. Just, I mean... The, the Milky Way, the stars, the universe looking up into the sky. I'd never seen it quite like that before um, mm. because there were no lights for it, miles and miles and tens and tens of miles. And it was the Southern Hemisphere as well. It just did something to me, um, which built on, you know, kind of years of having enjoyed nature as a child, but it sort of really consolidated that. And almost, yeah, just in that moment, it kind of gave me real clarity actually about who I was and what was important. So it, that was really mm. lingered with me. And then more kind of intimately, um, just trees generally have featured a lot in my life. Um, so, and, I, yeah. and particularly in childhood. So I had a bit of a thing for taking acorns and little oak trees and sort of stealthily planting them in places. And now I'm still connected to some of those places as an adult and I sort of checking on them and feel quite pleased with myself. Um, and there was a cherry tree I used to climb and sit and watch the world. I also really, as I think many young girls did, I really wanted a horse when I was little, but that wasn't going to happen. So um, there were these two trees that were kind of joined by a, a trunk and me and my sister used to sit on it and pretend it was a horse and we'd call it our ho- horse oh. tree. Um, and that was actually much cheaper than having a horse and mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's still there. And again, when I, you know, visit family, I, I see it and I love it. Kat, we talked as well, didn't we, about our, some common ground, I guess, some, some connections yeah. that we both have. And one of those certainly was David Attenborough, as I'm sure it was for many people mm-hmm. growing up and still is actually relevant. Um, and just the wonder and joy that came through every one of those episodes also the book the secret garden how that just unlocked yeah the the power of a garden and imagination Um, and then both of us have touched on that shared science background as well so whether that's peering through a microscope or um, learning about the physiology of a plant or genetics it's it's um it's all mind-blowing stuff and I think that's really kind of stuck with us hasn't it absolutely thinking about that um the things that have anchored us in our own past um with the kind of nature Mm. and wonder um, and joy it's really I guess reminded me for me personally how important that imagination and being confident in nature those things really grew from an early relationship with nature and being exposed to that whether it's through you know planting a a seed or being in the woods whatever it might be being in by the ocean we lived near the sea when I grew up there's a, a couple of things here, which I'll reference again at the end and in the show notes. But there's a good book um, by uh, a guy called Richard Louvre called Last Child in the Woods. Um, and it talks about the importance of um, children, you know, having that exposure to nature and 
the kind of the the risk of nature deficit disorder he calls it um, when we mm, don't get that exposure yeah. and I that's a really helpful um, resource and just really underlines that for me um, there's also a quote by a wonderful author and poet um, Mary Oliver who I know we've both kind of stumbled across for this episode um, and you'll yeah. refer to her later but I just want to read a quote from a book of hers it's a collection of essays called Upstream it just really reinforces that importance of some kind of exposure um, as a child, which has, for me, has, has really formed who I am, I think. So the quote, so the, the extract of the book is as follows. Teach the children. We don't matter so much, but the children do. Show them daisies and the pale hepatica. Teach them the taste of sassafras and wintergreen. The lives of the blue sailors, mallow, sunbursts, the moccasin flowers, and the frisky ones, inkberry, lamb's quarters, blueberries, and the aromatic ones, rosemary, oregano. Give them peppermint to put in their pockets as they go to school. Give them the fields and the woods and the possibility of the world salvaged from the lords of profit. Stand them in the stream, head them upstream. Rejoice as they learn to love this green space they live in. It sticks and leaves and then the silent, beautiful blossoms. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And I really love that quote. It just seems to really elegantly underline such important stuff. And yeah, that quote really jumped out at me. And I know that kind of resonates for you, Kat, for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, no, I, we, we actually, I didn't hear that until you just shared it just now. I knew you had a Mary Oliver quote. Yeah, hearing that, it feels really moving, mm. actually. So I have um, two boys, as I mentioned, one who's three and one who's 15 months old. And yeah, some you know, lockdown is starting to ease here in the UK, but nonetheless, is still here to some degree. And especially during uh, lockdown, where we could only get out once a day, my husband and I and our two boys would go to our local park, which is called Falkland mm. Park, and it's a very unassuming place. Like it's not like Battersea Park. It gave us a real sense of home and rooting because we would just go there most days. And something that I I loved doing with my my three year old was taking photos on my iPhone and of kind of really going quite micro and looking for the flowers, looking for the beautiful leaves mm. or the interesting branches or twigs or the things on the ground. And, you know, originally it was me just taking these photos. Um, and then I say about a third now, either taken by my son or directed mm. by my son. And he always talks about going and finding purple flowers, which is his favorite color. Yeah, we, we, we even created, you know, an Instagram page to celebrate this place. It's called Ode to Falcon Park. And for me, I guess what I mentioned earlier about newness in terms of wonder, I, you know, I've definitely been guilty of that. You know, I've walked around that park many times in the past prior to lockdown, and I have not got that sense of wonder in general. I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been nice. But I think perhaps just the circumstance of and, and the perhaps the lack of distractions elsewhere meant just really focusing on what's there and, and how it changed over the months that we were walking around as the blossoms came and went. And yeah, so for me, it, it really felt like a wondrous place and something to share as well and be social with. And it's funny, we um, came to this call, you know, with some kind of ideas written down on paper and some quotes that we wanted to use. And we both came up with a, a Mary Oliver one, which I will share, you know, this poem that she's written it is, is different to Elizabeth's. But yeah, it's a friend of mine called Joe Daly who sent this to me a couple of times over the years, actually. And I feel now it's a a good time to share it, kind of taking in that that kind of perspective um, that I've just mentioned of really focusing into the micro mm. 
in our local park. So it's called um, The Summer Day, and it's by Mary Oliver. And it goes like this. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper. I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Mm, I love that poem. Yeah, that mm. that last line. It just you kind of don't see it coming, really. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a great question. What is it you plan to do with your one world and precious life? Yeah, it's it's an intimidating question and a question full of hope and possibility. Mm. And also giving permission that it doesn't. It could be, uh, I guess, what's seen from the outside as you know an amazing life, or it could just be walking around in nature for the day, and that is a beautiful way too. Absolutely. So. Oh, thanks, Kat. Good poem. Um, Pleasure. So, Kat, we've looked a little bit at these personal stories, which um, I've really enjoyed. And now I think we want to kind of zoom out a little bit and think about our experiences of joy and wonder in a more kind of networked way. So bringing in mm. other people, the kind of relationships we have with them. And I'll just start off. Some of the work that I've been involved in, and I'm still involved with actually, is helping to develop an international development organization so we're really a global network of people that are working on community development in our own places and we work in Africa and um, Asia and it's great I mean really I kind of see it as a network of friends it feels much more relational than a lot of organizations I've worked with and we are we you know we are a network we rely on two-way information flow and connections and, and sharing our strengths and our weaknesses um, and that feels really important and actually one of the ways that I've really come to think about this has been through looking at forests and trees and I heard a talk a while ago by um, an ecologist called Suzanne Simard and one of her talks is called How Trees Talk to Each Other and I just found it so inspiring. Yeah you know when you look at a forest you're not seeing loads of individual trees you're seeing a connected community of beings who are interacting with each other and it just blew my mind. Anyway I realized that with this um, organization, Aruka Network, it's called, by the way, that's A-R-U-K-A-H, Aruka Network. We really kind of mirror that forest network. You know, when one tree or one group is suffering, others try and step in and support. When one tree or one group of people has wisdom and things to share, they share it. And I have a, well, various fairly recent memories actually of being in sub-Saharan Africa, so Zambia and Kenya and Tanzania, and standing with um, some of the friends and colleagues I have there 
Um, and rather than being inside a stuffy room um, working on plans together, we we went out and we went into either a nearby woods or a scrubland, and we kind of made this stuff come alive by being underneath trees. And it was just so grounding and. In a future episode, I will come on to talk about that in a bit more detail, the kind of nuts and bolts of networks and connections, and, and I'm looking forward to that. But for now, I just wanted to highlight how it really seemed to shift not only mine, but the, the people that I was working with there. It shifted our mindsets. It shifted our sense of what's possible. Going back to what you were saying earlier about seeing things that we've got used to, but with new eyes, and there was something about mm. the power of trees and forests in that moment that helped us to see the possibility of local and international networks with new eyes and it's really injected a, a kind of energy and life into certainly my work and I think the network more widely I love it I mean it's a kind of an example of biomimicry um, which is this kind of concept yeah. of um, whether it's design or processes mimicking things we see in nature and our network is sort of mimicking that forest network so that's, I guess, the, the example I had in my mind of how that kind of joy and wonder and energy in nature can kind of come into our networks a bit more in our relationships. Thinking about it, it's, it's almost like there are two levels to it. You know, one is you are literally out in nature and taking in all the learning of being under those trees yeah. together, you know, not just by yourself. Also, you know, is, yeah, using the metaphor of that and kind of both in a kind of academic way, you know, um, but also, yeah, if, if, the way you were talking about it, it felt like quite a feeling mm. way as well about how you, how you relate to those people. Yeah, no, you're so right. Like it really seemed to heighten emotion and connection and relationship, actually. I'm sure people mm. seemed a bit more vulnerable and, and, um, open and kind of willing to share weaknesses as well as strengths um, I certainly did yeah and when I thought of my example it's, it's a slightly different one um, and it's it's looking at an, uh, into my network and actually into my past more actually I guess this example isn't a classic example of a moment of joy and wonder that leads to something else it's it's a moment that then leads to joy and wonder. Mm. <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll explain what I'm talking about. Yeah, my example is about Sir Peter Scott, who David Attenborough described as uh, a patron saint of conservation back in the day. He founded the Wildfire and Wetlands Trust in 1946 in Slimbridge, Gloucestershire. It's a place where both my parents worked for many, many years. Um, and it's a conservation charity, essentially, to protect wetlands, wildlife and people. What I remember, you know, actually from my dad's stories and what I've also seen online, Sir Peter was the son of Robert Falcon Scott, and he was only two years old when his father died in Antarctica. And in one of his last letters to his wife, Scott advised her to make the boy interested in natural history, if mm. you can. It is better than games. And I remember my dad telling me that several times. And you know, he did. He got really involved with nature and fast forward and he became also a very interested duck shooter, which might sound surprising. And it's a way that he got to spend a lot of time with birds. And so the story goes that one day he came down to Gloucestershire, um, to near Slimbridge, and uh, he saw a bird that was injured out in the mudflats. But because the Severn River is particularly dangerous, he couldn't go out and actually help the bird or do anything for the bird. And that was that moment when he decided he wasn't going to shoot anymore. And he didn't. And instead conservation became the most important thing for him. It's almost like those experiences thus far were just to get him out in nature and to, you know, form actually what was then, you know, he bought some land and created Slimbridge. And now 
what's called WWT has 10 wellness centers around the UK. And so for me, I guess why I bring this example up is it, it felt like a moment of real like reflection and you know looking inwards and compassion actually for mm. others or for the bird that then actually has created um, a network of centers that provide joy and wonder to people mm. that they can visit wherever they are in the UK. And, you know, I think there's like a million people visiting these centers every wow. year now. Yeah, I guess, I guess why I bring it up is it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, I had this amazing, joyful, wondrous moment, and now I'm going to create this organization. I'm going to have this relationship. But sometimes, I guess what I'm talking about, during wonder of nature, sometimes it may come from a surprising or, you know, unexpected place yeah. as well. Almost, yeah, working backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that, that felt important. And it, yeah, it just reminds me of my childhood as well. Just I used to love, well, I still there, the, the maynays, which are Hawaiian geese were conserved there and there's this tropical hot house and yeah so it's it's kind of does great work but it's also yeah really imprints into your own memory yeah in fact I have a memory myself of being at Slimbridge um when I was a kid ah, yeah okay. maybe we crossed paths who knows um yeah just I remember some I think it was swans kind of nibbling my sister who must have been about four or something behind her nibbling her hair while she was in a photo and she just looked really kind of shocked and surprised and kind of a bit excited but mostly a bit scared um yeah yeah lovely memories there so far Kat we've looked a little bit at the personal we've looked a bit at the kind of networked experience there as well and that kind of beginning to ripple out we also wanted to look finally at the the kind of wider world and even the, the what's beyond our, our world as well um that kind of mm. big picture and when I was thinking about this what popped into my mind first was um a documentary that I watched with my partner and it's on Netflix I think it still is just called Apollo 11 and it's uh as the name suggests about Apollo 11 which was the the mission that, that first landed men on the moon and it's mm. just incredible it blew my mind the footage is like watching it like it was yesterday kind of happening live they must have mastered the remastered the footage or something I don't know but it was just mind-blowing to see all the preparation and then yeah these these men stepping onto nature but a completely out of this world sense of you know the the non-human world that the rocks that were on the moon and something that really stuck with me from that aside from the incredible story and visuals and I think it was said at one point but just this sense of the world being united in wonder and this was in the 60s obviously and, and the Vietnam War and all these things had happened and Ken- Kennedy had had sort of launched this um mission to get men on the moon before the decade was out and just for a moment, the world stopped and was there were every just everyone was united in wonder. And for me, it really brought home the power of wonder to unite and to look mm. at to look outside of our kind of day to day and the things that might be a challenge um, globally right now. You know, what else can we look at to to unite us or reunite us? Um, so I really recommend that documentary just as a as a way to tap into that sort of wonder beyond ourselves and beyond our normal networks yeah and I think it's kind of I think we I'm sure we've all had it at moments in our lives where yeah it's kind of when you take yourself beyond yourself and beyond networks and kind of realize the enormity of the universe Mm. I I remember when I was probably I guess 14 or 15 I was at boarding school I remember lying I was lying in bed one evening and trying to go to sleep and suddenly I just had this moment where I realized how 
how extraordinary the universe was, mm. how big it was, and how how short life is, and how you know, in a way, fleeting we are. And it was just one of those moments where it's just like, whoa! <laughs> like, I totally had those moments too, camping with friends or nerdy thing. When I was a kid, I um. I won a poetry competition, which sounds very grand. I won a book token. With that, I bought a book of quotes and I also bought a book of the universe. And yeah, it just, it blew my mind. Kind of exactly what you've just said, um, the enormity of things and what are the chances of me being alive on this little, what is it? The pale blue dot, this, this earth, this marvelous space. So yeah, kind of bringing that, that science, the universe wonder. In fact, probably actually the edges of science and wonder just totally blur. Oh yeah. I think many scientists like have that in them kind of like just this curiosity about what really, you know, is out there. And I I love a good fact. And I, so I pulled up a few facts um, just to kind of, I guess, yeah, when I think about the universe, it's partly, it can make you feel quite small and in a way that can be quite affirming. You know, and there's also things, I guess, lessons. So I won't read them out in detail, but, you know, so one of them reflecting on the fact that many of the atoms that we're made up of, you know, from calcium in our bones to iron in our blood, uh, were brewed up in the heart of an exploding star billions of years ago. So it's kind of like we are literally made of stars, as, you know, the saying Mm. often goes. But also the universe, you know, it's not just about what we're made up of, but it's looking at different times and you know, by by looking up at stars, you know, the light from some of the stars just takes so long to mm. travel to our eyes that when we look at the star speckled night sky, we're actually peering deeply into the past. Yeah. Um, and I just find that again fascinating. Like they say that uh, NASA's Hubble telescope can look back as far as 13 billion years. Yeah, ago. I just I can't even you know? get that number in my head. <laughs> like, just, just, what, does, what does that I mean? Know. And that's it, it kind of loses <laughs> meaning, doesn't it? Numbers, but yeah, just, wow, yeah. it's. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't really have any other words for it other than wow. In fact, in that Apollo yeah. 11 documentary, and given that these were sort of quite buttoned down, you know, pilots and scientists and so on that were working on this, the word that kept jumping out to me when they were on this mission was, wow, that's beautiful. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, you just kept hearing this again and again in the documentary. It's like at some point you just run out of language, don't you? When you're looking into the sky and you're looking yeah. into the past, there kind of aren't any words, are there? Yeah, so I, I guess that's, that's something, I guess the last piece that comes up for me is just the idea of how many stars there actually are in the universe. It's, it's according to this number, it's three followed by 23 zeros, <laughs> which is more than all the grains of sand mm. on Earth, you know, so that's how many stars there are. Again, just showing the enormity. And, and for me, that's just a really wondrous fact, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So whether whether facts are our thing or poetry or just simply looking and being in nature, there, it feels like there are so many different ways to kind of find a foothold into into some of this stuff. That your facts there also made me think of. I'm quite a fan of the poet and artist and general visionary William Blake, um, and one of his mm-hmm. poems, Auguries of Innocence. There is a quite well known. Um, few lines where he says um, to see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour and as you were sharing your facts it just they're huge they're vast facts they're so um they're so big and yet also the world is in a grain of sand heaven is in a wildflower it's it's um we can kind of look at the the huge the macro the vast but it for me it often comes back to the to the intimate yeah that feeling of looking at the universe and feeling small 
I also feel really quite peaceful and connected and and like I have as much to offer the world and the universe and eat and, and other people as does a wildflower or a universe um, mm. or a star. So yeah, for me that, that that poem kind of joins up the the huge and the intimate quite nicely. That kind of reminds me of a time a year or two ago when I was I think I was like eight months pregnant with my second boy and one early one morning I just woke up suddenly and I thought it was because I was pregnant scrolling on Facebook which probably isn't very helpful when you're trying to get back to sleep and I read about um there was going to be this moon this kind of special it was called a super blood wolf mm. moon that morning and there was certain times when it was going to be and sorry it's just after five in the morning so for some reason I, I realized that also it's uh, my father's anniversary from when he died so he had died six years before that so suddenly I just felt really drawn to just get up early <laughs> and go out into the dark um, and try and find this moon and I remember kind of walking around Battersea you know for about I think it's about 45 minutes probably and I just couldn't find the moon <laughs> I, was, I was like what is going on like you know my achiever side was just like wondering <laughs> if I wasn't doing it right and I tried looking from every angle and darker spots to lighter spots I just couldn't see it but what was lovely was um you know starting to again like noticing that perhaps I wouldn't notice normally like a you know a fox out on the the road you know crossing the Mm. road um people going to and from work or people being up in the sky in planes and I remember just thinking you know even though I couldn't find this moon what I could hear was this beautiful chorus of bird song it was just a perfect moment. And I was connected with my dad, Mm. you know, who, as I mentioned, was at Slimbridge and had spent his career studying bird behaviour and conserving the wetlands. Yeah, it just reminded me that what's beautiful about the universe is, you know, there's the science that we're starting to a little bit understand, but there's also stuff we don't understand. And, you know, even if we can't see things, and in particular people physically, it doesn't mean they don't exist, Mm. you know, around us and you know, others and in ourselves. I love that story. I've got a real kind of vivid image of you wandering around Battersea at five in the morning. Um, <laughs> but then kind of, really yeah, goodness, <laughs> but kind of ending up where you needed to be and hearing what you needed mm. to hear in that moment. And it reminded me actually that story of um, Francis of Assisi talks in some of his writings about the brother, son and sister moon. And he talks about he yes. talks about nature in all kinds of wonderful ways. But that really jumped out when I was um, listening to mm. your story. That sense of yeah, that sort of seemingly distant moon or birds or whatever. But actually, there is always that connection, whether it's you know funny your dad in, in the birds or whatever brother son and sister moon means to us. There's something about relationship for me anyway. Yeah, no, I absolutely hear that. So we're coming to the end, Kat. Um, of our mm. first proper episode of Unfurling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to recap briefly, so we've looked a little bit at some personal stories that have kind of anchored nature and wonder and joy for us and our lives. We looked a little bit about how that's kind of networked and rippled out into our connections and relationships. Um, and we've touched on the kind of wider world and and beyond even our world. And this has all been about really offering a new dimension and and finding different perspectives into some of this stuff. Um, And also sharing a little bit personally about how we've tapped into our own resilience and resourcefulness in our lives. We're very conscious, of course, that this is our own experience, Mm, particularly in this podcast. And actually future episodes might be sort of a bit more, I don't know, factual or 
you know, whatever, depending on the topic. This has been quite a personal one, I guess. But but that's great. And we, in fact, we'd flip that over to you as as a listener and, and maybe ask, ask a similar question. You know, if you're looking at your own life, are there personal experiences um, that you can tap into that, that can help you kind of refine or, or discover anew your own connection to um, nature through wonder and joy? And, you know, rippling out from that, what kind of networked relational experiences um, might you have that can shine a light on this as well? And beyond that, you know, what connects with you beyond, um, whether it's in the wider world or, you know, beyond up in the sky, who knows? And how can you draw on that as a resource um, in your own life as you think about your own resilience and your own connection to nature? So, Kat, we had a couple of takeaways, didn't we? There were some being takeaways and some doing takeaways. Do you want to just touch on some of those being takeaways? So I guess when we say being takeaways, what we mean is things that are about who we are and I guess what we might want to dial up in ourselves, dial down, bring in to ourselves. So yeah, one of the things, uh, a word that I learned recently was the word biophilia, which is love of nature. And I think there is something, it's almost like, yeah, consciously choosing to embrace that and rediscover or just kind of further go into, you know, one's love of nature. And in a way, it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, as humans it hasn't been long that we've actually been in urban spaces, you know, when I think about our history of existence. And so getting back to mm. that, um, and in a way, to me, a part of it is a mindset, you know, like actually seeking out to be inspired um, by nature, to be informed by what it has to teach us. And so, you know, at this stage, it's a lot about just noticing, mm. you know, so when you're out and about noticing the small beautiful flowers or leaves or when you're indoors you know noticing how your pot plants changing or the views from your windows even yesterday I was even just looking at my screensaver you know was 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 beautiful so I guess I'm encouraging people if they feel moved by this is to starting just to be to becoming more aware that there is choice about how you view things and to to try a more of a nature inspired Mm. mindset really Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we had a couple of again when we when we say doing takeaways, I guess it's more sort of practical things that we can go away and look up or do. A couple of those I've already referenced, so it's really a few book recommendations. There's um, the Last Child in the Woods by Richard Louvre, which is about the importance of nature for children and nature deficit disorder. The documentary that I referenced, Apollo Eleven, which is about the moon landings, that's on Netflix, I think. And then a few other books for for the readers out there. I'm a big reader, so I'll be offering a few book recommendations each episode, actually. One is a novel called The Overstory uh, by Richard Powers, um, which is about nine Americans whose life experience with trees brought them together to address kind of how forests are being destroyed. And it sounds, um, it's just a fascinating book. I think it won the Man Booker Prize. Um, a kid's book from a while ago, the little, the little Prince, which is for me about the importance of looking beneath the surface and finding truth and beauty and joy, and learning to kind of see things with your heart, not just your eyes. Also, one more um, would be let's, let's go with this is a bit of a left field one. So Anne of Green Gables, which is about a hundred years old, um, I have just recently reread it, um, and Anne, the main character she's just such a role model for finding beauty and joy and wonder in everything I've underlined so much in that book yeah and the other the other kind of practical doing bit we'd say um, or we'd like to invite you to do is to um, go online and and 
look for our Facebook community um, because we'll be sharing questions and resources and and encouraging kind of conversation about wonder and joy and about future episode themes as well. So we'd love to see you over there if if you hang out on Facebook. So that's it. And we'll make sure that these kind of takeaways and references and things are in the show notes as well. Great. Well, I think we've given people a lot. (laughs) So I'm going to, I think it's time to let them go. Yeah, but I've enjoyed this. It's been, it's been good to do our first proper episode before we started recording we had an absolutely mega giggle fest so that was quite fun yeah lasted about 10 minutes (laughs) it really did we just couldn't shake the giggles but it's okay we've kind of just about got it together so we made it through without giggling cat we did exactly no we i think we 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 got a professionalism back but it is it's nice to giggle it's good so i guess yeah just sign off then and and just to say you know that we are yeah we're feeling joyful Mm. and to be on this unfurling journey you know with nature and with each other as we explore the power of the natural world to inform and inspire and so until next time see you soon see you soon bye